You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Sean Devine, and joined today by Torin Billups. Hey, Torin. How you doing, Sean? I'm real good. Well, I tweeted the other day that that I needed you to hold me closer because I was embarking on a new Ember project and uh, was going to attempt to TDD it a bit more like I TDD my Rails projects. And uh, you were kind enough to respond, and that led to... Uh, you agreeing to come on the show. So I'm, uh, I'm excited for this conversation. Excellent. I'm excited to be here. All right. So for, for people that don't know who you are, uh, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm just a software developer. I live in the Midwest. Um, big Ember fan, a big test driven fan, uh, Vim and Tmux zealot, uh, all around, uh, just generally enjoy writing software. Now, did you start on, uh, did you come from the Ruby or Rails side, or were you always more front end focused? Yeah, actually, I've never worked on a Rails project, which is kind of strange. That I'm on this podcast in particular, <laughs> well, my, this is like fifty percent Ember now, so that's fine. <laughs> that's what I, I was going to say that, but I'd let you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, actual professional background is more in uh, C sharp and uh, doing some Java right now. Uh, also did a lot of uh, Python a couple years ago, did some Objective-C, some uh, native Android stuff as well. So, uh, and obviously JavaScript is, is kind of throughout that entire history. Right. So. Well, so lots of object-oriented web development, though. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I just joked that the show is half Ember now, but that's about right, because I think that to build anything interesting right now, at least my opinion is that I still love rails, uh, especially on the, the server side, but for most applications that I'm interested in, you know, if you're going to stick with rails for rendering the front end, you're going to jump through a lot of hoops to avoid writing JavaScript and have, uh, the functionality you want. You probably won't even really achieve it. So I've sort of embraced my JavaScript, f uh, future. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 2015 is the year of me, uh, convincing myself that I like JavaScript and, uh, you know, because I, I think that there's no other good way to do what I'd like to on the front end than to do that. So, so here we are. I need yeah. counseling. No, that's okay. I'm so far on the other end that generating uh, HTML on the server just seems backwards now. <laughs> and I actually sometimes have a hard time just relating, which is not great. I need to get the beginner's mind um, back the way it was when I first started looking at Ember in, in 2012. So, well, a quick, so a quick uh, aside. So last night I watched the, um, the RailsConf keynote from DHH, which happened a couple of days ago, but I hadn't watched it until today. And I, I obviously didn't go to the conference today and I found it very interesting because he, uh, I, I also, like you, am starting to have trouble relating to the idea of rendering HTML on the server. Um, not because I'm all that good at rendering it on the client, to be honest. But, um, you know, so if, if I compared competence, I'm far better at doing anything on the server than I am on the client. Um, but it just doesn't make sense to me to do it that way anymore. And uh, it was interesting to hear his keynote because, and, and I think I sort of understand it. I mean, he is going all in on server rendering everything, which doesn't mean he's going all in on not using JavaScript, really. It's just more that it's like the obfuscation of the JavaScript, like the, the, the make it feel like it's not happening on the client and instead sort of push from the server things that the client will, will execute in a way that, that is pretty opaque. Anyways, it was, I, I understand the beginner's mind thing because I, I'm having trouble relating to that point of view. And I, I sort of feel like that's kind of bad. Yeah. I, I think it's, that's the audience, right? I don't know what line of work you're in, but we're always working with other humans. So regardless, you've got to have a way to relate to that large uh, group of humans that isn't bought in or isn't doing single page app development full time right now. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think that the two, I think that there is a bit of a religious divide between the two because you're kind of either all in on the one side or the other, or you're duplicating the hell out of everything <laughs> or both or both. Yeah. But I mean, everyone, I think at some level sees, you know, kind of rampant duplication as, as a, as a, you know, evil to some degree at least. And that means you sort of have to pick a side, you know, if you're not going to pick, I'm going to duplicate everything side, which most people wouldn't pick. 
at least uh, intentionally, then you're either picking like, well, I'm rendering just about everything on the server or I'm rendering just about everything on the client. And that's a scary choice if you're not used to doing everything on the client. Yeah, I think the bigger implication there that, that you sort of skipped over, uh, maybe just by accident, is the, the fact that a lot of people still aren't even building full APIs that you could stand a rich client on top of yet which is, uh, I think, another barrier to, to folks that want to dive in all in, as you're saying? Yeah, so the reason I skipped over it, and you're right, I did skip over it, is that I am so all in on doing that. that like, So everything that I build now is, is API first, and I'm like waist deep in JSON API. Um, both the... I don't know that I'm waist deep on the standard itself. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly interested and I participate a little bit, but I'm very, very into the implementation of on the server side of, of a library that, that, uh, complies with JSON API. And I'm very interested in Ember's sort of commitment to using that as the standard for Ember data. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm so in that. I, I think it was actually a pretty good example of the point where I'm so into that, that I almost don't even think about an application now that doesn't have that as a sort of mindset, even though that's, it's probably the exception still. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you. I, I don't start server apps anymore without an API right away, but truthfully, I was, I was talking to someone the other day and an entire team, in fact, and they were not accustomed to this. So talking nonchalant about oh well of course you have an api and of course we're gonna use that was very much the wrong approach in that conversation so i just wanted to highlight that i think there are definitely still teams that uh unlike you and i when you say well of course you have an api that's what you built first right they're actually like well no i didn't know that sounds like a premature optimization actually yeah so (laughs) which is i mean i think i can understand I understand why it may have felt that way some number of years ago where there, you know, for a huge number of apps, there was really only one client and that was a, call it a desktop web client. But now that's so uncommon. The reason it, it, it feels like it's sort of odd when someone says it's a premature optimization, even though I completely agree that that's a, a relatively common sentiment is that, I mean, I don't remember the last time I've worked on anything that didn't have at least two sort of first class clients. You know, yeah, even if they're both internal, uh, the example I used is you probably have you know this app that has some billing component, and the first time you build it because you feel the API is a premature optimization, you do the server rendered thing, but then six months later, a year later, another team is building sort of another view into that data, even from within your own company, and now you're stuck at that point where you're going to do another server rendered thing or actually create the API and then sort of refactor away that original implementation to be API based. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, my, I, in my experience, the most common integration is with other systems, right? It's not like a, you know, mobile web or mobile app, but it's, you know, either your internal or, or a supplier or customer or, you know, trading partner of some sort, their systems talking to yours. Exactly. And I mean, I don't, mostly because I'm, I'm mostly in sort of old line business to business sort of lines of work for the most part, that's just so common that, I mean, there isn't a situation where we, we don't have to integrate the apps that, that I make with other, you know, other companies apps. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that you point out something very interesting though, which is that, that how, you know, how can we find sort of like communication vectors with all the audiences we have when, when our experiences are just so different, you know, especially people that have been developing for a while, you know, it's, it's, and and I can relate to this right now. I think that, that you got pretty good at doing things one way and to embrace something like an API first sort of client rendered world, you have to take like 17 steps back in your own competence before you can start moving forward again. And that's hard. You know, it's, it's, that's a hard place to be. At least yeah, for that's, me. That's really hard. <laughs> no, I was thinking about that the other day. If I wasn't doing Ember and I was just going to start over doing some other very niche software thing, it would be a very strange feeling to go back to that level where I'm, I'm not able to crank things out as quickly, which kind of is a confidence builder in itself. So uh, not an easy problem as you described. All right. So so give me some therapy. So I'll, here's a tiny bit of background. So I am a, I'd say a good Ruby and Rails programmer, um, you know, and probably a, a not bad programmer generally, but, you know, very comfortable in, 
in object-oriented languages in general, and certainly Ruby and Rails specifically. JavaScript skills are, I don't know, you know, what you'd imagine if a, a decent programmer, you know, sometimes wrote JavaScript and had, uh, you know, I'm not awful, but, you know, but I'm not good by any stretch. Um, I've, as I said, I fully embrace sort of the, the split of server and client API first, all, you know, HTML, etc., rendered on the client. So I'm sort of all there. And what I'm looking to do over the next 30 days is, is, uh, keep myself in a positive mindset so that I can push my Ember skills from kind of, where are they now? Maybe I'm a past beginner. So, I mean, I'm comfortable with the concepts, but at the place where it's still very easy for me to get stuck on something past, you know, basics. And is that because you're, you're actually hitting just undocumented like features or you're hitting a stack trace that's crazy looking and you're not really sure where to go? Well, so that's a perfect question to start. So I don't know a lot of the time and which I actually think is the, you know, I, I forget who told me this, but I've heard, I've heard, maybe multiple people say that the the place where you go from sort of beginner to intermediate is when you know what to Google for. Okay. And maybe I'm there, but I, I, I find myself uh, to your, to your question, um, wondering, um, kind of frequently if I am doing something wrong or if I'm hitting a limitation of the framework and sorting out that answer, I think is more difficult than I would have expected. Cause I wouldn't ever have that trouble in Ruby or rails, right? It'd be pretty easy for me to figure out where I am. Like, you know, am I hitting up against something in the library or is, or is it something that I'm, I'm doing wrong, but with Ember, I don't have as easy of a time, honestly, with that. Uh, okay. like I'll give an, I'll give an example. So, uh, I integrated pusher yesterday with an app. Right, so the server sees changes and it, it pushes down the wire the changes to the client, and the client takes those changes and you know either pushes new records onto the store or it uh, uh, updates a record or it removes one. Those are the three okay. things that it could. So is Pusher a, is that a Rails thing? No, Pusher is like a Socket IO type thing. It's not oh, Socket okay. IO, but it's a WebSockets you know push changes now. So anyways, so it, it's listening for the changes. It lists, it like subscribes to a channel. It hears that there's something on the channel and then it does something with it. And what comes down on the channel is the pay, the same payload that would come from the API. If you made the call for the record, so then it takes that payload and then it, you know, pushes it onto the store using push payload. So when it does that, the, the entire view, uh, or the, the view scrolls to the top of the, of the browser window. Right. So it's like, not like it just stays in place instead of like, like if I did create record, it would just add a record on the bottom of the list instead of doing that. It, well, it does add the bottom of the record on the bottom of the list, but the whole, you know, page refreshes. Gotcha. Okay. The <laughs> great example. No, exactly. Looks like the whole point of the client side app is for that sort of thing not to happen. And, uh, and it's not that the page refreshes. That's actually not true. The, the page scrolls to the top and re-renders. I think that's probably the right way to say it. So, okay, here's a good example of, I still don't exactly know why. Like it, it feels like the kind of thing that people would do all over the place. You know, I, I know it's as simple as if you just push payload something onto it, this happens. You know, I can't find anything in the documentation that clearly explains what's going on except for one, you know, Googling for one stack overflow question that sort of hints at this has to do some with something around sort properties, but, oh, okay. I, but I don't know what, cause I haven't set sort properties, uh, nor have I, have I, you know, had I knowingly used it. So this is a are good example. Doing, Go ahead. Yeah. Are you doing more classic Ember development where you have a controller that may be sorted and has, has, this, uh, the model for that controller is an array of some kind, or are you using components? No, th this is a controller. So yeah, this is like s completely vanilla. So the route provides, uh, the model through a relationship. This is a Ember data deal, um, through a relationship. It's a, you know, it's a promise that gets fulfilled and then, um, yeah. So the view is just, you know, 
iterating over that array controller to render okay. things. And then when I push payload into the store, it scrolls to the top. So like this, this is a, a very good example of the sort of place that I would find myself with, uh, or in with an Ember project that I just wouldn't find myself yet or anymore in rails where, you know, I, I could just figure it out quickly. And sure. in Ember, I mean, I don't honestly know what's going on on that. <laughs> From the sound of it, I don't either, to be honest. Um, that's actually one of my, you know, my big talking points we were, we were talking on Twitter is that I think new people, and I've, I've seen it a lot personally on Teams, when you're picking up single-page app development, Ember, and all the things that go with Ember data as well, most of the questions or most of the complete uh, hard stop moments end up being around persistence or Ember data specifically. Um, I don't really field a lot of pure Ember questions where there's not a clear path or an easy place to go. And I think that's because Ember itself is actually a little easier problem than what Ember data tries to solve, which is kind of boiling the ocean of both uh, client ORM and syncing that with your back end at the same time, along with other cool stuff like relationships in there. So... I think that's fair. I and mean, if I was to audit all of the areas that I've had challenges with and with Ember this week, say easy nine out of 10 are, are Ember data related easy. Yeah. And I, and I really quickly just want to jump out and say, I really don't intend to uh, beat up on that project at all today. I, I just basically wanted to highlight that. I think for beginners, that's one issue where just like you're mentioning, you know, where in the stack is, is it actually the data binding library where I have routes and controllers, or is this really something about the cache, the, the identity map, or something down inside the array proxy that's bound to a resolved relationship model like you're describing? One of those may not be uh, working as you, as you expect, but where do you start looking into that? Because Ember Data you know, is itself kind of a big project. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I've had this conversation before that Ember data and, and sort of the problems that it's attempts to solve is usually the source of my frustration. Um, but I haven't figured out what the, so what is on that yet? Um, honestly, cause I think that some of the problems are, are sort of challenging, right? I mean, like, I don't like, I, I like the idea of not having to go to the server every single time I change the route to get the data. Um, but when you do that now, you've got all the problems that you'd imagine and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I kind of like the idea of using, you know, WebSockets approach to sort of push down the changes in the interim. I think that that, that works for me. I like the idea, but you know, now you got a yet another thing that's going to break that you've got to manage and, and deal with, uh, when it gets, you know, out of sync or, or, or not working or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think there's a middle ground actually, which is the the controversial discussion that I bring to the table. And that is when I started uh, working with Ember back in 2012, the whole reason I came to Ember was Ember data. When I saw relationships and that programming model that mirrored what I was already comfortable with and, like you mentioned earlier, competent with on the server side, I was like, well, this is what I've been waiting for in JavaScript from day one. Uh, it feels so much closer to a sane programming model, something I can actually maintain uh, on bigger apps going forward with bigger teams. So that's what really got me into it. And come to find out through many years of uh, hacking around on the internals and just looking around at what I wanted from that project is I just wanted the identity map, the, the core cache that allows you to do more optimistic rendering on the client. Mm -hmm. um, like you were saying, you, you know there are times where when you come back, you don't actually want to fire off the XHR. You just want to show what's local because the experience on the client is 100 times better than if you actually throw a loading screen or, or pause there. Right. So, so then w what did that lead you to? <laughs> Unfortunately, it led me to the worst of all, which is uh, sort of writing my own your own uh, ember data torn data my gosh that, that would be the worst thing in the world to <laughs> actually go out and rewrite the entire project itself but there's definitely uh pieces that i have written that are uh, all out copy pasted from inside inside of ember data just because they solved the core problem which is wow i just really want a way to cache these objects by type and have them be observable 
So if I have an array, I want that to be observable. So when something gets pushed into it, like your example, it just pops in on the page that's bound to the array proxy. Mm -hmm. And in the same case, if I have an object in the singular find by example, find by ID example, that I just want to be able to find something. And when a promise resolves, that thing suddenly becomes available. It just pops in the page. So this is a naive question, but uh, what's the difference in your first point around you know, allowing the array itself to be observable? What's the difference between what you said and what Ember data does on call it like an async relationship has many relationship on a model? Does it not, is that not the case with, cause it, it does it too, right? Yeah, honestly, I don't know today. The, the last time I actually used Ember data in all fairness, uh, was sometime last year before the big rewrite where all relationships became async where mm-hmm. you had a promise uh, interface. So I don't know what that does today, to be honest. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that what you said is, is the case. Like, so, yeah. because if I've got a, if I've got a template that is, uh, has a controller that whose model is, a you know, is, uh, is, a has many relations or was provided by the route as a has many relationship and I update it, it'll update, you know, the, the, gotcha. the template yeah. will show it. Yeah. Cause I think the data structure underneath that relationship, like you said, for a, a one to many is you're going to have an array proxy down inside there somewhere. Yeah. I think that the problem for me with, with Ember data and, and one of the reasons that, well, I'll get there in a second. So the problem for me is that it it's the place in Ember where I just don't know what's going on that well. Like the, cause you said before the rest of Amber, I, I mean, it's a very complex piece of software, but I, I, I feel like I've got a good idea of how it's working for the most part, right? Like I've, I've, I've used it enough that I, and you know, read enough that, and I think it, it's, it's a sensible, um, architecture too, that I kind of get it and I can reason through when things go wrong. Whereas when there's a problem in the class of, uh, things that Ember data solves, I can find myself just not knowing, right? Like I'm not having a good idea of what could be going wrong. Um, yeah. I think the, on the surface that sounds like, Oh, well then Ember data is a poorly written library and Ember itself is better. But I think truthfully, if you dive a little deeper, you find the problem with that second sentence where you said Ember data, I have these unknown problems is that Ember data is often interacting with something that's not directly in the procedural code flow where you're going, Oh, the next code block if i'm in chrome i can just step down and see exactly what's happening so mm-hmm. like in ember you if you're step if you ever step through the source you're just walking through it right but with ember data you have not just stepping through its source but you've also got well what's in the store right now and what's not resolved right now that you have to think about as well yeah yeah i mean i think that i think i could if, if i was to write like a book report on my ember experience i think in the title would have to be something about async about you know like like the things that aren't there now and uh do you know about it and are you <laughs> um like do you know when someone's promised you something and are you acting accordingly do you think it's a promise when it's not is it not a promise when you thought it would be is it not resolved when you thought it would? i mean just uh uh if if i was to list out the, the, the uh, my problems i think there'd be just like a venn diagram of ember data and and sort of promises and those two things overlapping, um, because it's I think the the combination of the sort of persistence challenges and the challenges that would obviously come from um, async operations that that's where that that's where things get hairy for me at least. Yeah, and I mean truthfully, Ember itself I, again reiterate this, but Ember itself I don't think as is as complex as the problem Ember Data is solving. And if you look at just what Ember Data does itself, you know, it has a little bit of a, a model component with uh, relationships, um, adders that know if, if the model is dirty and they, they know how to handle XHRs that failed. It actually has an entire kind of convention that, that knows about JSON API and knows how to make all your XHRs. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the very bottom, it also has the cache or the identity map of those objects. And all of those things... Um, from the external perspective, it's hard to see which of those components you're interacting with and when one of those breaks or just doesn't act as you would expect it does. And where do you start looking is the challenge, right? So give me, um, give me some tips, if you would, on, on, uh, related to this in sort of two ways. I, I am using TDD, I think, much more easily than I would have expected with Ember. 
Like, so I expected we'd have this conversation and I'd say, geez, I've been working for the, the past week on a sort of a TDD centric approach to a new Ember app. And I'm having trouble for the following reasons. And I mean, it, it, obviously all programming has its challenges, but the reality is, is that I have not found that that challenging. Like if I'm oh, just really? dealing, okay. no, not really. I, 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 I would say that the, uh, like acceptance tests in particular, I don't find hard at all. Um, I think control, I, I sort of have bailed on some controller tests, um, because it, it did, it felt like it was not worth it. I was having to rig up quite a bit and I felt like I was getting most of that benefit from the acceptance tests, at least for what I was doing. Cause it, it wasn't, well, perhaps I would feel differently if, if the controller was doing more and I wanted to isolate that test, but I hadn't been feeling that way yet. Okay. Uh, in the, in the unit tests, I did not find all that challenging on models. Um, oh, great. I mean, those are the two places I spend my most of my time actually unit testing. So Unit and uh, ex acceptance or model unit test and uh, acceptance? Yeah, the, the model side. I, I rarely uh, actually drive out anything in a controller, but that's also just because, as you've seen, the community itself is trying to do less and less in controllers, kind of in preparation for uh, the changes in 2.0. So my controllers now, I've just you know, over time, tried to weed them down to almost nothing but uh, handling actions at this point. So there's not a lot of state. They have a few computed properties in, in some instances where I need to sort something, something like that. But Right. Now, so, so is there, would you recommend on a new project sort of going to so, like all components except for actions right now? Do you think that that's, like that ship is definitely sailed for 2.0, right? You know, honestly, I, I follow some of the, the great guys on the core team, and I, I'm always checking out what, for instance, uh, Stefan Penner, what he's doing with this pure routable components idea. I honestly have not built anything that way yet, and I don't know what I would say to answer your question, whether I would say yes, dive in, figure that out, or no, stick with what you know today, mainly because I don't know a lot about the project you're working on. If you're just playing around at, at home like I do sometimes for fun to learn, absolutely you know, pick that stuff up as I should be here as a homework item and learn it and figure out the, the pros and cons of that. But if you're on a project where you need some pretty stable libraries because you've got to get out the door in the next three months, I would probably stick with what's in you know, 1.11 or 1.12 today just because you're not going to run up against as many unknowns. Yeah, that's where I am. And I mean, I, I use components where they makes sense. And I feel like that's giving me the education that, that I'll need if it goes full routable components for two. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, th I think, I think that that, that seems like sensible advice. So anyways, so the, the, the testing story for me so far has been like, not bad. Um, now I've, I, uh, I'd say am, am a complete, um, devotee of DDD on the server side. So, I mean, I think that that probably helps a little bit. Uh, most of the challenges that I have have to do with debugging, which is sort of ups, like the test is failing and I'm like, why, you know, what is, <laughs> what is going on? And I don't, I feel like my debugging game is the thing that needs significant upgrade. Um, more yeah, so no, than debug, testing. Debugging JavaScript in, in the Chrome dev tools itself uh, is a skill, right? And I, I was actually personally mentored and introduced to how to do this correctly by Stefan Penner, actually. One day we were pairing, and I ran into one of these fun stack traces that, you know, has back burner or something in there, and you're like, oh, it's over. You just table flip for the afternoon, you know? But uh, he, he showed me, like, hey, if, if you feel like you're at a point where you can trap this, you see this blue, you see this black stop sign, you can click that, and it turns blue. And I was like, I didn't know I could even click that weird thing. It looks like a pause button. So I don't, I don't know how much this is boring you, but I'm always surprised to know uh, just passing that little nugget of information along that Stefan uh, taught me about to some of my coworkers, that that completely changes their ability to figure out and solve problems with, with Ember or just in JavaScript generally. Because once you hit that stop sign and then you, you know, play through to the error, you'll immediately catch that error and probably a more sensible place than you were before you had no idea. All right. This is on my list of things to accomplish before the weekend is, <laughs> is to, you know, up, up one grade my Chrome JavaScript debugging skills. It'll change your life, man. <laughs> what else will change my life this week? I need, <laughs> I'll collect all the tips that I can get. 
Um, oh, just uh, as far as Ember or Ember debugging, I I sometimes do. Uh, are, are these tests you're struggling with acceptance or just unit level tests when you don't know how to debug them? Um, I well, I would say, I would say acceptance usually, um, okay. but but only only because that's where. Um, well, let, let me tell you why I say that, and then this may reveal something something about how I'm testing that's off. Okay. So the reason I said acceptance is that when I'm doing unit tests in the model, uh, which is you know most of the ones that I would do, I'm dealing mostly, mostly with instances of things instead of the... And most of the challenges that I tend to have is the... Uh, relate to, um, you know, async persistence items. Which I'm generally not testing on the model, I mean, unit tests of the models. Okay. And those would generally come in in the acceptance test in the way that I'm testing right now. So that's why I answered it that way, but that may reveal some sort of underlying flaw in my approach. No, I mean, uh, so in this particular example you mentioned earlier, are you acceptance testing that this thing shows up? at the bottom and then you somehow know the page is bouncing all the way to the top or how did you actually catch that bug? Was it a, you visibly using the app? I imagine. Yeah. I just saw it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that one, that one's tricky. Cause like, what's the failing test for that? Right. It doesn't <laughs> I, scroll to the top. <laughs> I had not. Well, this is a, this is a good one for us to talk through. So how, like I did not, I have not tried to write a test that, that caught that yet. And I, I noticed it just using the app, but, uh, it's, it's a huge bug, right? Like, I mean, it basically renders the app unusable, um, because, you know, you can't have every N seconds, the, the page jumping around. Um, so what would you do, um, in terms of a testing strategy for it? Yeah. Just to show that that is a bug. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I'd probably have to do something a little bit more implementation aware, um, which is, you know, kind of a negative right there, but it feels like the trade-off is not testing it. So you might as well have something there to at least show that this is a problem. Uh, I'd probably have to either do something that knows about the internals of Ember data, if I could you know, basically debug down to figure out why there's a full redraw happening, or um, the hackier way, if I could figure it out, would be to look at the viewport and actually see, you know, what, what should I expect is in the viewport, meaning I don't scroll to the top, and versus what should be in the viewport if I accidentally bounce to the top, which would be the the failure of that test. But having never done that, <laughs> made it sound a whole lot easier than I'm sure it is. No, I think that that could work. I mean, I think that my understanding of what, um, like, here's my guess as to what's happening. But I think that you're, I think either test approach would work, but certainly the second one should. Um, but I think here's what's happening. The something is causing the the uh, model to be resorted or to be sorted again, and that when it does that, at least this was in a Stack Overflow answer, the uh, the answerer alleged that Ember would have to t sort of tear down the list and then redraw it, and when it tore it down, the you know the the viewport would no longer be as tall as it used to be. And therefore it would oh, okay. go to the top and then when it would redraw, then it wouldn't, you know, you'd lose your scroll position because it, the, the size of the viewport or of, of the, um, rendered area changed. And yeah, that kind of made sense. My knowledge on that one. Just, just saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it exceeds yours, it certainly exceeds mine. So, you know, I think that the, the reason that I think this is a good example for the challenges that I have with Ember is that it's easy to lose like a day on this problem or multiple days, I think where it's just not clear how to fix it, you know, cause testing, you can't really drive out with the problem. The underlying problem is that easily. Um, you know, I agree. You could probably write something that would at least, you know, show that the problem was there, but you know, what to do to, to drive out the answer, I, you know, is, is exceeds my competence right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the thing I struggle with is I don't feel like I join teams of 
Ember experts. You know what I mean? We're, I don't know your, your team situation or if you just work with a few other people, but the teams that I work on, everyone's actually very much anti-JavaScript. <laughs> so when, really? really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody absolutely <laughs> hates it. I mean, I'm literally right now, I think, working with just a handful of people that enjoy or at least see um, the JavaScript side as a, an interesting challenge. And I think um, the other folks just are, I mean, and it's no offense to them, they're burdened by it because it is a burden at times. Like you're describing, um, that situation would not have happened in a, a stack that would be, you know, standing on 10 years of mature frameworks where we're not going through six-week churn all the time. And I absolutely agree. I remember Tom Dale, actually, he was ranting about, uh, you know, nobody in the Java community ever has any of these issues we have with NPM. Um, and there's something, you know, something to be said about that, certainly. But when you're in an environment where not everyone's in love with JavaScript and willing and excited to work through the, these painful scenarios you're describing, I, I try to limit the, the risk, the amount uh, of tech or the amount of decisions that are going to get me um, in trouble with the team, if that makes sense. And one of those is just limiting the amount of uh, I mean, the amount of uh, learning that the team is going to have to do. So, for instance, I mentioned earlier, you know, this team I'm on now, a lot of these guys have actually not built single-page apps, big or small. So there's a learning curve there. A lot of them, uh, you know, they've done a lot of a- API-first stuff, but they haven't done really rich client apps on top of that. So there's a, just a learning curve there. And then Ember, of course, is the implementation detail for all that work. You've got to learn Ember. Um, and then on top of that, if you brought Ember data, which I didn't just because of the complexity, you'd also have to learn how to deal with a lot of the underlying ideas, um, which are still very new and foreign to people. When you say the word like optimistic rendering, you know, what does that mean to someone who's been building server generated or server rendered apps for 15 years? You know, they're not really sure. And especially someone who's not big into user experience stuff. When you start talking about, well, the user experience here is the value add. You have to sort of get past uh, some of these other challenges. And I find a lot of teams, and, and myself included, when I had the whole stack in there with, with Ember Data, I, that's where I ended up, like you said, blowing a whole day or blowing a couple of days just trying to even nail down where a bug was. Yeah. Well, I think that your approach is sensible, right? I mean, that that um, otherwise, how are you going to get people that are, are sort of prone to not be... Uh, too interested in what you're, you know, developing in to, to, to stick with it. Um, it's just, I don't, I think it's too easy to bail when you've got, um, I mean, unless, unless the, you know, company or the boss or circumstances are, are forcing you to, it's too easy to bail and say, well, I know how to do, I know how to do this another way. And maybe it doesn't allow me to build an ambitious app, but at least, you know, at least it's adequate to use the, well, I I think there's some, there's some iterative steps you can do in there, right? Because, uh, to, in my original thinking back in 2012 was, well, if I can't have everything that comes with Ember and Ember data and the entire ecosystem, which wasn't even Ember CLI back then, I was basically like, well, I don't want any of it if I can't have all of it. And in reality, I think, you know, You're like the jealous like, lover JavaScript developer. <laughs> exactly. But I, I think the truth is if, if I just had what Ember offered and got a team comfortable building you know, API first and rich client apps at all. Um, and then just said, you know, you guys already know jQuery. We'll stick with some basic Ajax stuff to get people rolling. Then people get comfortable. They have some confidence. Then I start introducing the concepts of, well, what if, you know, it'd be great if I skipped back over to this anchor tag, which is now, a, you know, a route, and, and I link over to that, that I don't go back to the server for that data. Even having that conversation is controversial, and that doesn't involve any implementation detail about how you do it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a whole ceiling of, of conversations to be had with a team that is for the first time building these really rich interactions in the client and when you start talking about caching or using the store you know and from the ember data perspective there's probably um let alone from the the amount of tech that comes with ember data just a whole conceptual problem because originally to me ember data looked like well this is an orm so i'm going to think of it and treat of it as an orm but then you instantly as you mentioned earlier add this async component where well these things aren't here yet and you're gonna have to learn how promises work which is again to the the back-end developers perspective they have never really dealt with that much asynchronous stuff so a whole learning curve right oh yeah yeah i think it's i what i would describe your technique is, is like swaddling. Like, I think I need to be swaddled 
you know, like, because <laughs> like, right now, like, like, like I'm, you know, re- somewhat competent in, in part of it. I think that I've probably undersold my basic Ember skills, which aren't that bad. Um, but it's, my arms are, you know, get flailing a little bit too much. And I think you're right. Like you sort of swaddle that down. So there are fewer, fewer things that can go wrong. Seems like a good, well, it seems like a good strategy whenever. Cause I certainly use that approach in, in rails apps and rails apps. I don't have this challenge of like getting in over my head too easily. Right. Like I never, like in some ways I think the opposite challenge could be there with rails where I, you know, I'm capable of, of doing things my own way or getting myself in trouble. And I have to more like stick to being swaddled just as a defensive mechanism against doing something too complex or that'd be hard to maintain or whatever. But with- yeah, no, I'm with you. It, it is purely a defense mechanism. As, as funny as you make that sound, you know, saying that out loud, I think it's true is, is I, I believe that there is a lot of value add and for people who are skeptical about the approach um, single page apps being that idea. Uh, there's there's got to be different approaches to be successful because one silver bullet or prescriptive approach probably isn't going to work for every team or every developer. So how do you think we get from from here to there? Here being this place where you know the the tools. Let's just stick to Ember. Ember is certainly not immature anymore, but is you know parts of it are more immature than others. Um, and, and it's, it's not all that old. Um, so how, how do we get from, from here where like our tooling is good enough to do things that are incredibly ambitious and completely awesome, but still early enough that you can get yourself in trouble and there, which is a place where, you know, kind of this inevitable shift to API first client rendered apps is here and seen as the norm. Like what's, how long do you think that path is going to be and how, what are the, what are the big bumps going to be? So you're just talking about transitioning. What is the bulk, uh, the army of web developers that exist today to, from the old style server rendered stuff to API first rich clients. Yeah. Like think about the teams you mentioned, like how do we get from where we are now, which is like every team you go into hates JavaScript and then presents you for, for this project. (laughs) To there, which is like, everyone's like, oh, this is how we do it. You know, I think it's going to take just people. My my favorite quote from uh, this friend of mine locally was, you've got to be able to argue like you're right, but listen like you're wrong. And I think without some of that thinking or culture inside of a team or an organization, there's just going to be an uphill battle until the entire industry is upside down in a couple of years, whether that be three years or five years. And then all of a sudden there aren't any jobs anymore where people are building server rendered apps. So for the first example I mentioned, it definitely is going to go a lot faster if there's an advocate on the team who is trying to push forward um, in an incremental approach and not just come in and say, Hey, here's you know a new, a new library I saw last night on Hacker News. We've got to use it right now. You know, there's, there's definitely a, uh, and I play that role actually on my team today, which is sort of the swaddling person. You know, I'm swaddling all of our team um, to be and ensure that we can be successful with the tech stack we have right now, which is basically Ember, um, mainly because, like you said, that team does not enjoy or does not have a lot of experience building single page apps. And there's a lot of learning that just goes along the way. I mean, the biggest one that is actually foreign to me because I come from a Python background as of recent, is just pure tooling. So when we started using Ember CLI, which is like a night and day step forward, and many thanks to the core team guys that work on that. It's so but great. We, I totally agree. I know. So I, great. That project has changed the game. So absolutely, you know, we're still making big strides, but here's a very interesting thing we ran up against. Um, when actually uh, I went to EmberConf this year, uh, we had the situation where we just bumped to a newer version of uh, Ember CLI. And at some point along the way, when we were gone, of course, the, the uh, two people that knew Ember very deeply, we had some transient NPM bug crop up. And this transient bug basically stopped tests from running. All the JavaScript builds that, the, all, that all of us work on on my team were completely broken, and nobody was sure why. You know, we've all felt that pain where some, some lower-level dependency doesn't respect Semver. It does a bump over the weekend, and then everything's broken. And to, to be fair, the Ember CLI community was right on top of this. But what was foreign to me was coming back and, and basically hearing that the team was unsure of what to do. You know, just absolutely nothing works. So right there out of the gate, I'm assuming this this ocean of knowledge, right? Well, they know it's an NPM problem, right? 
and they know that npm you can't lock transient dependencies and that's why this happened right mm-hmm. oh and they knew to go check it out on github and report an issue and give a stack trace right but all those things didn't happen because <laughs> there were assumptions that i had and i think that is still just a prerequisite to older teams who've been doing you know server-side rendering and they're not actually as familiar uh, with the Ember community or the the Node community, um, which for better or worse, we're kind of standing on top of the best and worst of NPM right now. Yeah, where is that going? So I I I keep track of that just to the degree that I need to in order to not have what you said happen, which is like just totally not know what the hell is going on when a problem like that uh, pops up. But oh, so you're talking the NPM issues specifically? Yeah. So like, how? What's your advice on how much, for example, I should care about about being in touch with the Node community and sort of keeping track of of that? In other words, like, how much can I count on? I think you bring up an interesting sort of class of problem, which is I would like to have the waterline be at like NPM and just not worry about below that. But you're saying like maybe that's not possible. You know, maybe you kind of need to worry about about NPM and it's in the way that it it handles dependencies and, you know, whether you can or can can't, you know, lock them, etc. And and I, I geez, I like I, I'm familiar with what what you mentioned because of just Twitter, I think. But, uh, man, I would really rather like putting my, myself in the place of one of the team members that you're talking about. I would really rather not care about about npm yeah no i think brian brought up brian cardella from dockyard he brought this point up the other day on twitter and i was kind of following and honestly nodding my head a little bit in in agreement uh and that is there isn't or i don't think you can be successful today on any of these these front-end stacks being a quote casual javascript developer where like you said i don't care about npm i don't want to follow or know what node or how node works i don't want to keep up on you know, whether it is Ember Angular releases and following their release notes and, gosh, Ember is releasing every six weeks now. I don't have time for this. You know, I think there is something to be said about we're not yet at a point where you can just casually come in. Everything's casually perfect. And if you don't ever update your app or don't want to follow or listen to a podcast about how to stay current and learn new things, you're going to be fine. Because I don't know if that's the case today, which kind of makes me sad. Um, But at the same time, I love this stuff so much that keeping up on it um, is just built in for me. My my bigger fear is to your original question a couple minutes ago is how do we get from here to there? And until it can can be truly accessible for the quote casual developer where they don't know about this stuff, then I think we're always going to be stuck swaddling like I am today. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't honestly see a very straightforward path to a place where you could be casual. Like I mean I agree you can't be now. But I don't even see like one of the um, one of the things that you hear say DHH say about JavaScript is that he likes sprinkles of JavaScript, which is either you know uh, either you know his way of describing something in a good way, and I think other people use it uh, to sort of. I use that in a bad way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you know it means whichever one you want it to mean. I think, Um, but it's sort of an absurd idea, like that you could use a sprinkle of JavaScript and get what you, you know, what we want in terms of applications. And I think that the reason that people hold on to the idea of a sprinkle of JavaScript in the good way is not wanting to not be a casual, like people want to be casual in their JavaScript if they're not used to it. And you're saying, I think rightly so that that's just not an option. Like if you're going to embrace the, the client sort of rendered world, you have to go all in. And yeah, that's sort of the trick though is, I would actually challenge any team to say they're casual about any of their tech stack in a real mature team that I would want to be a part of. So, for instance, you know, we're doing a lot of JVM stuff, and there's a particular guy on my team that is very into Groovy and Gradle. And certainly, uh, I don't expect it. I just know that he's actually keeping up with, oh, there's actually this new release of Gradle, and it fixes this bug. And, you know, if you pull it down, so he's kind of our, our path forward to success so that I can be the casual Gradle developer on the team because I, I do spend a lot more of my time looking at the Ember side. And I think that's actually fine. Like, I am I wish I didn't have to know about Gradle, but I can't just, you know, bring install one JVM today, get Gradle working one time with one version of Groovy and expect I never have to update that. 
I don't think that's realistic. It's the idea that server-side developers already are burdened with having to learn an entire ecosystem and stack for their server-rendered stuff that still needs to exist because they're doing APIs, of course. So now you're telling them they've got to make more time to keep up on more tech, which they already barely have time to keep up on. So I think the, the challenge is still there. I think teams just don't want to do it with JavaScript, to be fair. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely takes some of the fun out of it. I think that's true. Like, so, so I decided that I was going to like JavaScript. Like I'm just not, I'm not, I'm no longer asking the question. I like JavaScript. Yeah, um, and some, at some point, like my emotions will agree with my assertion, which I don't know they do yet, but yeah, I think you're right in that, that for many people, the language is, is a significant burden on top of what is just like a practical time centric burden in the first place. Um, yeah, I, it, I feel the pain. Burden. I mean, yeah, keep keeping up on all that stuff. I mean, there was a time I was actually doing more DevOps stuff alongside the application development. So I was doing um, Chef. I was trying to figure out how to you know, keep my Ubuntu servers provisioned and up to date with all that stack and trying to eventually learn how to test drive that with Bookshelf and all that stuff. Um, that was one thing on top of learning Ember, on top of learning Django and Python and ES6 and everything else. So I certainly... It, can, it resonates with me that this stuff is hard and there are teams that just don't want that burden right now. And some of the NPM issues right now that are just there because of the way NPM was built, I would definitely hope that when those things go away, it's just a lower barrier for teams that don't have the experience. So they don't have to keep coming to guys like you and I and say, hey, uh, this NPM thing's broken again. What do I do? You know, to the point where everyone gets a little more comfortable, and that's from here to there. I think that's just going to take some time exposing teams to, you know, NPM is not just a toy. We actually have our entire client, rich client stack, depending on it. Uh, and I, I think getting everyone more comfortable with that is just going to be a win anyway. Yeah. There's been a common um, buzz on Twitter lately, I, I think. I don't remember who started it about, like, the end of the front-end developer as we knew it. And... And I think this conversation kind of hints as to why. In other words, the, the the days where you can start with a page of HTML and you know search for some jQuery snippets that would do something interesting, they're just ending. And you know now the you know to do interesting front end development work, you have to do things that are as you know that aren't really fundamentally dissimilar conceptually from things you have to do on the back end. And, you know, I think that that, I think that that's an interesting transition in that if you were just in the front end only, but never were like a professional programmer or not professional, but a, you know, competent programmer, then that's a difficult transition, right? Because now you got to level up your skills. And if you, you know, were on the server side and saw the front end as a place where you could just sprinkle in some stuff you hacked off of a Google search, then, you know, now your worldview is getting upended a bit. And yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I think I, I built those those apps right back in like 2007, 2008 when you were building you know, your own jQuery front end for stuff like this, and it was much simpler. Uh, I just don't know if we wanted to be there. I think we when I the apps that I can think back to, I only built them that way because I didn't know any better, and there weren't there weren't armies of people trying to come up with something better. We were all just trying to ship apps within the constraints of the web so you could grab jQuery and get as far as you can. Um, but seeing frameworks like Ember come out, those things actually do end up producing more velocity. But I think the churn that's been in the JavaScript community about, oh, there's a new framework. So everything you learned last six months is out the window. You need to learn a new thing is one of the things Ember is trying to solve. And for me is the reason I stick with Ember is I don't want to or I don't have time, I should say, to pick up an entirely new framework every six months or every year. And even six weeks, I know I was kind of joking about that earlier, but even six weeks sometimes is a bit of a push to keep up and update all the Ember apps to that latest version and work through any deprecations. I mean, that is work in itself. It's not free. So I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of resistance to the JavaScript front-end world and becoming less of a casual developer because the time that they finally buy in and they're not casual anymore, then in two months, everything they spent all that time on is null and void, and they've got to start over, which is honestly disheartening. It, it hurts to, to go through that a couple times. And I think most of the people I talk to locally, that's their biggest fear of diving deep into whatever it is, React, Ember, Angular, is they want to feel like if they dive deep, 
that they'll they'll have something that's still valuable in an interview in 12 months or on a job in 12 months. And honestly, from the publicity side on the internet, uh, JavaScript frameworks have not done a good job of giving themselves a good name. So Ember, I, I hope, uh, is changing that. So. Well, I think it is. And I, I think you're, I think this is a smart way to tie up a lot of the conversation, which is that, that maybe, um, maybe having a few winners that people believe strongly will be winners in f- four years, you know, so believing that Ember or react will be, will be around and thriving in four or five years, like people felt about rails as far back as eight or nine years ago, I think, um, you know, maybe that's the chicken and the chicken or egg. And that once, you know, people have confidence that things aren't going to change, they can dig in a little bit more and go, you know, sort of build a a more solid foundation and become a little bit less casual. Um, and it just took those, those sort of initial pioneers with the determination to make, you know, an ember, you know, something that, that people could count on, um, that it took that to, to sort of seed that, that process. And I, I sort of feel like maybe it's happening. You know, people's confidence that, you know, I think a lot of Ember developers would be pretty confident that Ember will be around in four years. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not thinking there's anything else right now for me. So uh, it just solves all the problems so well. And the conventional side of it is, I don't know, I I get so much velocity. And and even my team, which I was saying um, in all seriousness earlier, they're not the biggest JavaScript fans. They see an absolute mountain of value um, in things like Ember CLI, where they're telling me because they've they've come from some other JavaScript backgrounds, they've come into our projects now, and they're like, "Wow!" When I jumped into this project, it was structured exactly the same as this project, and I knew exactly what this thing was named. And not having to come up with most of those names and conventions ourselves has been an absolute win. So, which is cool. It's one of those things to get those guys who I, I think of as somewhat the casual JavaScript developer, they're feeling comfortable there because not, none of that stuff is changing yet, of course, right? <laughs> Until we go to pods or whatever the, the next Ember CLI change is. But trying to keep those guys in, and get them comfortable with just the structural stuff of Ember and then building single page apps in itself is, is going to take a good 12 months of experience. And then once you get a good 12 months on a new team like that, you hope that team obviously spreads out eventually and spreads the word about, hey, this is you know how we've been really successful building single page apps. Oh, and then of course, Ember as a tagline was part of that success. Right. All right. Quick, uh, a few rapid fire questions. So is it too early for pods on a new project? Uh, I don't know. I, I've not tried it out to be honest. I'm there too. From what I've read, it seems like you could do it right now, but I'm, I'm trying to limp my back to the swaddling <laughs> that, that arm <laughs> yeah, is still swaddle. being swaddled. <laughs> That'll be our inside joke, son. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, like maybe you could, I think you can from the documentation, but I haven't either. So, uh, tell me a bit about the reception from your EmberConf talk, which I thought was phenomenal. And I, I don't remember a, a talk. Um, and I don't usually go to conferences, but I don't remember the buzz on Twitter being so strong about a talk in the last two years. You were, you were the hit, you were the hit. Well, I think that the, I think that the keynote was a giant hit for a lot of good reasons, but I think underneath the keynote sort of level presentation, um, the buzz about your talk was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was blown away by the reception because I brought, uh, a couple of friends of mine with me from, you know, from Iowa. And uh, it's so funny because I joke back home that people are tired of me speaking. All right. Well, I have, uh, I've enjoyed our talk. Um, here's what I'm going to take from it. I'm going to see if I've got a few takeaways, see if, see if I got these right. Um, do my darndest to limit the number of places where things are more complex than they possibly could be in my Ember projects. Is that, do you think that's a fair representation of what you said? That was the best politically correct statement I could say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Have you a quick aside? Have you followed JSON API much? Uh, I just kind of follow actually from your show. Uh, there was a time when I was doing, uh, Django development, and I actually wrote and maintained the Django REST Ember data adapter. And so I was very aware of the differences back then. Uh, this was like early, mid-2014. So I don't, I haven't followed all the 
uh, the latest to the 1.0 that you've been talking about lately, and I need to get back into that project and check it out. I think now's the time because it's. I, I don't foresee many cha- bit, like significant changes between now and 1.0, which is coming in under a month now. Okay. Um, I think RC3, which is where they are now, it basically is the end. Um, Excellent. The you know I think people were understandably annoyed about the degree of change between RC, well, whatever came be- came before RC1, RC1, RC2, and RC3, because there was a lot of change. Um, but it, I think it's it's sort of firming up now. And my guess is that it, it sort of makes, you may not like this, but my guess is that it's the thing that makes Ember data um, be inside the swaddling, not outside. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, if, if my backend stack was closer to it, again, I'd also have some more reasons to be in love with it as well. Yeah. All right. So, so that was tip one. Uh, tip two was uh, get good at the Chrome JavaScript debugger because I, I'm making life too difficult for myself right now. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be just a prerequisite because you're not just standing on your own jQuery plugin anymore. You're standing on, what, 11, 20,000 lines, something like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, TDD all the things. That, I like that. <laughs> and you're not backing off. You, you're, you're, not, you're not saying, well, TDD is okay sometimes. You're, you're all in, right? <laughs> No, I mean, everybody asked me, and just like, so you've never, you never go to the browser and look at something. I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely go to the browser. Heck, I'll even pause an Ember acceptance test in the little window and interact with it if I need to. But, you know, it's all about feedback. And certainly there are times where the feedback is just much tighter and uh, more valuable if I'm just sitting there in a browser window on a debugger hung. Um, and then there are other times where I'm actually just building it and I'm confident I know what I'm doing. So the acceptance test-driven stuff you saw in that demo at EmberConf is very much how I build apps right now, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me. I, uh, I'm I'm excited to have that be true for me, but I, I say all the time that in Rails, Rails server is, you know, a, a, a development smell. Like if I'm typing Rails server or whatever command I type to, you know, boot my local sort of server to go to the app in a browser, something's gone wrong. Yeah, it's funny because that's, uh, we, we kind of flew way over that, but one of those things that from here to there in your conversation earlier about, you know, what is it going to take to people get there? There are a lot of teams when they start doing this rich client stuff and they want to, and only believe the browser. It actually took me a little while to get my team as interested in, and, and actually trusting Ember testing to be, this is exactly what's happening in the browser. There are no qualms about what's going to happen when we create our minified version and ship it out. It will be exactly the interactions you've tested here. And we have very few places where that's not true, where we have some you know, weird run loop and set timeout thing happening in production code that causes us to do a weird hack in um, the, the testing side. So, for example, one of the things I did recently is we have these loading screens. So if you come in um, to a route and you just want to return the array right away, you don't want to wait for the promise to actually resolve like Ember Data does out of the box, I think. You can return right away and then basically when the bound, uh, when the promise actually resolves, that bound array underneath gets populated. And the one trick that I had testing the loading state in that example is that I wanted to be able to come in and do a visit. Um, and this is Ember acceptance testing mm-hmm. visit, and then actually check, hey, before that promise is resolved, I want to verify that it says loading kind of in the DOM. And then once the promise has resolved with an and then, I want to verify, oh, now that loading screen is gone and the data is there. But originally, it's so funny, I, I had this working in um, Ember 111 beta 5, and I was like, oh, cool, it's just pretty much right before the end then I can just assert what the DOM looks like then let all the promises resolve and then check out that it's it's not loading screen anymore and it's the, the data and come to find out that was actually a bug <laughs> that that was working at all in, <laughs> that's funny one eleven. so yeah again you know the casual developer conversation here but it was funny because uh, I did work with someone on uh, on GitHub to eventually get a what they call a synchronous visit which obviously sounds terrible but basically it allows you to do a synchronous visit check for that loading state and then do an and then to resolve all the promises and render the DOM. So, hmm. so would you have been able to, uh, uh, like stub in a promise for the thing that's going to resolve and then have it not resolve until it has something set, you know, have it observe something that in, in it not resolve until that thing flips to some other value. And then 
wait until after you've tested that loading is there to set that value so that and then will happen or was that just too hacky or just stubbing too many things and wow yeah hearing you say that out loud uh, i was i feel like the backseat driver right now but actually i probably thought of that at some point along the way i was like oh if i just monkey patch you know six classes down i'll be fine (laughs) yeah right yeah well i mean this is you know that's where i like i I am excited to to be as confident in how to do things the right way on on problems like that as you are at some point because I I think that's one where I would have punted right now. Yeah, that's I mean honestly that's that's where I was trying to be as fair as I could on Twitter and just say ping me. Uh, the only real questions I I cannot help people with are Ember data related right now um, just because I'm not in that ecosystem. But uh, as far as testing and just generally promise async stuff, I have. You know, I have a lot of just examples. So if you ever have a question, just ping me on Twitter and I'll try and shoot you an example. Um, I'm always trying to find something kind of like you described very early on in the call, which is like, how on earth could you actually test this? It's untestable. (laughs) I'm always looking for those really cool examples. So, Uh, Okay, last question for me, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, What's the likelihood that you come back into the Ember data fold in the next year? Well, I'm actually sort of anticipating that by keeping the APIs that I work with just on my own as close to Ember data as I can. So, you know, if you asked any of my any of my team that doesn't really know Ember or Ember data that well and you were like, well, how do you get, you know, how do you store data locally? They'd say, oh, there's a store, you know, and we put objects in there by name and there's an array or you can get them, you know, by a single object, you can filter them. So the API that I'm using is very similar um, in preparation for someday when you know, all the bugs get worked out, we go 1.0, everybody's JSON API out of the box, and there's no excuse not to, um, really to avoid like the, the whole bike shedding argument that you're always talking about on here. Um, I certainly look forward to that day, um, as you mentioned. So I, I think it'll just take some more stability and some more time. The, the weird thing for me is, you know, consulting, it's always weird to be using super bleeding edge stuff because I always feel like, um, as you mentioned, you can lose a whole day and then who, who gets billed for that day? You know, <laughs> is the client being billed for that day? Cause you didn't know how it worked. Is the client being billed, um, billing, you know, are you charging him as an Ember expert, but you don't actually know the internals of Ember data. So you're spinning your wheels. I'm just sort of in a weird place there. I, it's ultimately my lacking of, of knowledge on, um, Ember data's internals that keeps me out of there for the moment, but I'm sure that'll change. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the second half of this year is the time because it, it will be one Oh and JSON API will be one Oh. And I think as soon as those two things are the case, I think the cost of not being part of that or not being under that tent will be too high because the tooling around both of those things on the server and client side should, should mature super, super quick. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue is getting the JSON API idea and the word about it out to non, you know, non Ruby shops basically. So I look at my shop right now, and you know, there's a very big API that we've built. Um, it's close-ish to to JSON API, but it's it's not perfect. So of course, that's where the adapters come in with Ember Data. You basically roll your own there. Right. Yeah, I think I'm pretty optimistic. I think. And one of the reasons I evangelize a decent amount about JSON API in this show is that I agree with you that I think it needs like every, every single person that's won over is worth a ton to that project right now. And at least in my experience, whereas like convincing people to like JavaScript is difficult, convincing people to like the idea of JSON API, I don't find difficult. Um, cause I, cause I think that it solves problems that everyone has. And you know, if it, if it does so in a way that, allows them to build the apps they want. I think people are interested in getting behind a standard, I think. Yeah, we've, we've all been waiting for that, right? A standard way to build REST APIs. Uh, like you're, the first thing you do when you any join any Greenfield project is Google for, you know, how to build a REST API today. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you want to make sure you get it right this time. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Uh, if someone wants to connect with you on Twitter, what's the best way? Yeah, just ping me on Twitter, Torin. B. And uh, that's pretty much throughout, too. It's uh, torrentb on GitHub and torrentb at gmail.com, torrentb.com. It's a good thing about the name Torin. It's pretty easy to... I mean, I'm not saying there aren't other good things about the name Torin, but it's it's pretty easy to secure your identity, I think, on services. Yeah, exactly. So I have one of those smaller Twitter handles. So right. yeah, feel free to just uh, holler at me out, especially with some testing questions, like I mentioned. So. All right. 
Well, it sounds good. I uh, look forward to hearing from you later this year if you've come back to Ember Data. I hope so. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. All right. For anyone that wants to uh, say hi to me, I'm on Twitter. I'm barely known. Thanks. <laughs>